Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and you're listening to Words on Film on WBCALP Boston. I will be reviewing some of the newest movies out right now. For today's show, I have one brand new movie to review for you. And the reason I have one brand new movie to review for you is because there's only one movie that came out in wide release. And that's going to be the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you. There's a new Doctor Strange movie that's going to come out next weekend, the weekend of May 6th, 2022. And, of course, that's going to break some box office records, if not all. In other words, it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, So natu- and it's also going to deal with the multiverse, which is what the last uh, Spider-Man movie um, introduced. And this time, Doctor Strange, who appeared in that last Spider-Man movie, will be taking center stage in this film. But I will discuss that in my later segment, what's coming up next. First, though... The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Memory, and this is a film that I was very reluctant to see. I only saw it because it's the newest movie out right now and one of the only new movies to come out in theaters, but the reason that I was reluctant to see it is because Liam Neeson is starring in it, and Liam Neeson is one of those actors who used to be versatile and used to be in all sorts of Well, not necessarily great movies, but he used to be different in different types of movies. He also happened to be in some great movies, among them Schindler's List, which is one of my top ten favorite films of all time. But lately he's been riding a bit of a gravy train, if you will, but I have the feeling that that gravy train is going to run dry really quickly. But unlike other actors who are past their prime, like... Nicolas Cage, and until very recently and somewhat tragically, Bruce Willis, all the bland, forgettable action films in which Liam Neeson have starred have been released into theaters. Why they've been released into theaters, I don't exactly know, because I don't really know anyone or even know of anyone who's excited to see a Liam Neeson film. But memory is a bit better than I would have given it credit for being, but not because of Liam Neeson. So Liam Neeson in this movie plays an expert assassin, again, who's on the brink of retirement, again, has one last assignment before retiring for good, again, and he still has an Irish accent, but everybody treats him as if he's an American, again. And that's pretty much the same sort of narrative that was in his last film, Blacklight, a film that had a lot of bullets flying here and there, but I watched the film and was wondering, with all this action going on, why am I so bored? Well, memory is a bit less boring, only because it is a bit more ambitious than Liam Neeson's last few action films. So Liam Neeson does play an expert assassin who plans to retire, but is assigned one last task, which he ultimately refuses to do after he finds out the target is a young girl. Not only a young girl, but a young Mexican girl who had been sexually exploited by, of all people, her father. And the young girl is rescued by the FBI, particularly one agent by the name of Vincent, who's played by Guy Pierce, and he actually kills her father 
And while that may seem tragic, the really bad things that her father had done to her, especially the sexual exploitation, probably merits him being killed. But anyway, so Liam Neeson's character, Alex, finds out that the girl has been killed by somebody else. But the FBI thinks that Alex is the one who killed this young girl. And the people who um, hired Alex are also after him. So Alex sets out to eliminate the child traffickers who include an older woman who's a real estate agent whose son got in trouble by being part of the sexual exploitation plot against this young Mexican girl. This um, mother agent is named Devana Seelman, and she's played in one of the brighter performances in this film by Monica Bellucci, who I don't think we've really seen every uh, in quite some time. It seemed like 20 years ago, particularly when she was in the last two Matrix films of that era, The Matrix um, Revolution and Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Reloaded being the first one and the Revolution being the second of the two sequels to come out in 2003. Yeah, Monica Bellucci was just about everywhere. So we haven't seen her in a while, and she is actually one of the brighter spots in this movie. Also, Guy Pierce plays a committed FBI agent who's out to stop these sex traffickers from exploiting young children. And that's obviously very noble of him in addition to it being his job. And Guy Pierce was pretty good in this film. The only problem is that he didn't quite know what accent to use, it seems. Guy Pierce is, of course, uh, not American. He is an English-born Australian actor. And he's played Americans with a convincing accent before. But his Australian accent seemed to pop out here, particularly when he was trying to do a southern accent, seeing as he's an FBI agent that is stationed in El Paso. And as I was watching the film, I was getting into the characters of Guy Pearce, Monica Bellucci, as well as other um, FBI agents here, like one named Hugo Marquez, who's played by Harold Torres, as well as some of the other FBI agents in this film as well. But as I was watching it, I was thinking, this movie really didn't need Liam Neeson. And given Liam Neeson's repertoire over the last 15 years, where he's basically played the same character over and over again, this kind of degenerates this film, which could have been a compelling movie about child traffickers and those who sexually exploit them into a convincing film. But as it turns out, this was actually already a convincing film, albeit one that I didn't actually see. It's based on uh, a film that was made in Belgium that came out in 2003 called These The Alzheimer Case, also known as The Alzheimer Affair or The Memory of a Killer, which was directed by Eric Van Louis. And it is actually based on a novel, and forgive me because I'm not Belgian, but it's called Desac Alzheimer, which was written by Jeff Gerarts. And having seen this film, I would actually like to see the original because I have the distinct feeling that if an American film company remade this foreign film, then 
the foreign film was probably really great. But I don't know. Memory was kind of ironic in the sense that it's called Memory, yet the performance of Liam Neeson is forgettable. But other than Liam Neeson, I just re- I remember just about everyone else in the film, so I guess that is a compliment. But it's still riding a train that, in my opinion, has run particularly dry. And also, given that Liam Neeson has more of these action films to go, for example, in a little while, there's another film that's going to be released by him that's, that's starring him, rather, that's called Retribution. And later on, there's going to be another one called In the Land of Saints and Sinners, which all sound, unfortunately, like the same movie. And I really want the Liam Neeson of the 80s and 90s back. The one that actually took some risks with his acting, and those risks really paid off. In the 90s, particularly when he was in Schindler's List, he was considered just as serious an actor as Tom Hanks or Daniel Day-Lewis. But now he's just doing the same sort of direct-to-video quality films that Charles Bronson did later in his career before he died. So I know Liam Neeson can do a lot better, and very much like the other actors who to whom I give a hard time, like Tyler Perry and Ryan Reynolds, I'm hard on them because I know they can do better. But memory is completely forgettable with Liam Neeson's parts, but just about, I think most other things in the film sort of work. The other only thing that doesn't really work here are the other agents of the FBI besides Guy Pierce's character, Vincent, and Harold Torres's character, Hugo Marquez. As usual, some of these films, there is an FBI director who is very stone-faced and tells them, you're stepping outside of your limits, go home, get some rest, and, and so on and so forth. I didn't really care for that either. So, Memory gets my rating of a strikeout. The only reason it's not a flunk out is because there is something ambitious and dedicated in this narrative that was not there with Liam Neeson's last film, Blacklight, which left me pretty bored. Again, there was a subplot in there with some very smart actors who were doing ambitious things, but Liam Neeson is again going through the motions. Plus, his the subplot of him having Alzheimer's and having a brother who is stricken with Alzheimer's is one that isn't particularly well focused upon in this film, which is all the more ironic, especially considering that Guy Pierce alone was in a very convincing film back in 2001 called Memento, where he plays a guy who has chronic short-term memory loss. Not Alzheimer's, but he has memory loss from a head injury. And I kind of figured that in a movie with Guy Pierce that also deals with memory, the bar would be set quite higher than it ultimately was. So memory is, as I said, quite forgettable, but the bright side is it makes me want to see the Belgian film The Alzheimer's Case, which came out almost 20 years ago, and I hope I can find it on streaming.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Bad Guys. The Bad Guys was released in theaters on April 22nd, 2022. And the reason that I did not get to review it is because I just didn't have time to see it. I saw the two other movies that were out in theaters that weekend, and I just did not have time to see the bad guys until now. And one of the advantages of a film that of, of only one film that's coming out in wide release is that I get to see some of the films I missed, and the bad guys was one of them. And the two films that I reviewed that came out last weekend were decidedly mediocre. The Bad Guys actually is not, and it's the latest release from DreamWorks Pictures. And it's the story about several reformed yet misunderstood criminal animals who attempt to become good with some disastrous results along the way. And these reformed yet misunderstood criminal animals are anthropomorphic animals whose names are very easy to remember. There's Wolf, who is a walking, talking wolf, who also wears a suit, who's played by Sam Rockwell. There is the hardened criminal Snake, who's voiced by Mark Marin. although Mark Marin has a very distinct voice, especially given that he's on a competing podcast of mine. And I did not actually recognize Mark Marin's voice in this at all. I thought it was actually Ed Asner doing a posthumous um, performance here. But anyway, the other uh, bad guys are Tarantula, who's voiced by Aquafina, Craig Robinson, who voices Shark, and Anthony Ramos, who voices Piranha. And you could probably question the continuity of this film, being that shark and, sharks and piranhas are sea creatures, and yet they are not seen in water at all, but that is just giving way too much thought to this animated film. The point is that these five creatures are anthropomorphic in the sense that they wear clothes and they talk, and they are also very, very good at pulling off heists. In fact, the last heist they try to pull off is trying to steal the Good Samaritan Award from the, from the other anthropomorphic animal that earned it, who is a guinea pig by the name of Professor Marmalade, who is voiced by New Zealand actor Richard Ayode. And there are also some other um, very talented voice actors here. For example, there is a fox who is the governor of this land in which these bad guys live. Her name is Diane Foxington. She is a literal fox, and she's voiced by a real figurative fox by the name of Zazie Beetz. And Zazie Beetz is an actress who is not quite a household name yet, but she has done really well in some amazing films that have come out so far. Joker is probably one of them. And the bad guys are chased after this uh, police chief by the name of Misty, who is voiced by veteran voice actress Alex Bornstein. The name, the full name of the officer, by the way, is Misty Luggins, who is a hot-tempered um, chief of police. And there's also an appearance, almost kind of like a Greek chorus, with uh, a human reporter whose name is Tiffany Fluffett, who is voiced here by Lily Singh. 
And Lily Singh is, if you've ever seen some of her uh, Superwoman videos on YouTube, she's very funny. And she also does a really good job voicing this character, albeit it is a minor character with a lot of this other talent here. But the bad guys, if you look at them, might look somewhat similar to the hero characters, the Furious Five, in the Kung Fu Panda series. After all, there's and there's um, a tarantula here, you know, a very small creature who bears a resemblance to the praying mantis who's voiced by Seth Rogen in the Kung Fu Panda films. And there's a wolf who's kind of like uh, tigress, I guess. Uh, but I, I think there may have been some inspiration in the design of some of these characters, but the bad guys is actually an illustrated series of children's graphic novels that was written by Australian author Aaron Blaby, who may have also uh, drawn the characters in the, um, in the books as well. And I have not read the, um, the, the, the books, any of them. In fact, it was kind of one of those instances where I didn't even know this was based on a series of children's books until I actually uh, saw the credits. But a lot of the characters here, not just the five bad guys, but also the Agent Fox and even the the reporter, who's voiced by Lily Singh, Tiffany Fluffett, are actually original characters in that series. And I can't exactly say how the movie lives up to the books because I haven't read the books, but I did like how this movie came off as similar to other heist films like Ocean's Eleven, for example. That was one of the ones that uh, it reminded me of the most. I guess the characters' names being generic, like Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, and so on, was also similar to Reservoir Dogs. Although I don't exactly know if The Bad Guys was parodying some of these con artist films. And I'm actually glad that it wasn't. But it certainly took its inspiration from films about heists like Reservoir Dogs or Ocean's Eleven, both the old version with Frank Sinatra and the new version with George Clooney, probably the latter more than the former. But I liked how it, it took its inspiration from some of these films and also riffed on some of the uh, certain action film tropes of these heist films. I also loved uh, Sam Rockwell as the voice of the wolf. I think he really knows how to play a con artist, especially in films where, especially in live action films in which he's starred. And he took that to the Mr. Wolf character and fit that character to a T. Could other voice actors have done Mr. Wolf? Yeah, perhaps, but Sam Rockwell having been the cast voice of this character certainly served it very well. I also loved Mark Maron as Mr. Snake. And as I said, Mark Maron has a distinct Chicago accent that was actually not recognizable at all when I saw or when I heard him play Mr. Snake. And I was thinking to myself who, who this character or rather 
who the voice actor is. And I was thinking uh, several older actors. I was even thinking Ed Asner did the voice of this character before he died. So that's actually a testament to how good Mark Maron was playing this character. Of course, Aquafina and Craig Robinson have distinctly familiar voices. And Anthony Ramos is a, is an actor I'm not too familiar with, but he was actually in the 2021 movie In the Heights, which he was the star of that film. He also what played um, John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton, two roles by one actor, in the... Um, the Broadway musical Hamilton. And when they ultimately make a film out of Hamilton, which hopefully is more like in the Heights and less like cats, I would be very surprised if Anthony Ramos is not in that film. So he's one of the least recognizable voices of the five, but he did well playing Mr. Piranha, who is a piranha who lives on land, but also has a very hot temper. And when he starts to get really angry and start speaking in Spanish. I thought that was a really good quality of that character. But most of all, the story and seeing these characters try try very diligently to be good, I think really worked. There is a good twist somewhere in the middle of the film that I won't give away. Actually, not one twist. There are several twists involving various characters. Again, Words on Film has a no-spoiler policy, so I won't spoil this film for you, but The Bad Guys was a much, much better film than I anticipated that, that it would be. It is animated using CGI animation, but I think very much like the Hotel Transylvania movies, the CGI animation had a lot of fluidity to it that a lot of CGI animated movies even those by Pixar, haven't quite matched yet. And I I felt like this had the fluidity and the spontaneity of several hand-drawn films, especially those of Looney Tunes. So I love The Bad Guys. It's one of my favorite films of the year so far, although this being the end of April as I'm recording this show, it is, um, you know, a... uh, a third of the way into the year. And there are probably going to be very many other great films to come out this year, but the bad guys gets my rating of a knockout. The voice cast of all the characters in the film are nearly perfect. There are some characters like the Tiffany Fluffett reporter voiced by Lily Singh, who could have been very minor characters, but kind of raise the bar themselves by being great characters, not just characters with great voices. And I actually am very excited to eventually see a sequel to this film, which I'm pretty sure that this film is going to have a sequel. And maybe unlike some other less than stellar CGI animated films, The Bad Guys deserves a sequel, and hopefully it gets a good one in a few years.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is an Amazon Prime video original film called I Want You Back, which premiered on the Amazon Prime platform on February 11th. And I saw it around the time that it came out, but the reason I'm reviewing it for you right now is because, first of all, I didn't really have time on my other shows to review this movie for you. And secondly, I didn't have very many new movies to review for you for this week, so I'm going back to this film, which I really should have reviewed for you a couple of months ago, but I'm getting back into it because I think it is a film that is worth seeing. So the film is called I Want You Back, and it's very similar to other songs that are called I Want You Back, either the one that's sung by the Jackson 5, the one that's sung by NSYNC, or the one that's sung by Cher Lloyd. They're all different songs, but they all have the, ba- the same theme. It's post-breakup, and the singer, sp- singing in the th- uh, first person, wants their significant other back. This film is kind of like that. It takes place in Atlanta, Georgia, where it was also filmed, and it involves 30-somethings, Peter, who's played by Charlie Day, and Emma, who's played by Jenny Slate. At the beginning of the film, they don't know each other, and they are in seemingly fruitful relationships. But Peter's girlfriend, Anne, of six years, who's played by Gina Rodriguez, breaks up with him. And Emma's boyfriend of 18 months, Noah, who's played by Scott Eastwood, breaks up with her. So both of them were on the receiving end of being dumped. And the movie actually starts out really well with seeing these characters getting dumped. And Scott Eastwood is a great-looking guy. Gina Rodriguez is a knockout herself. Plus, Gina Rodriguez seems like one of those very approachable women. So you definitely, if you've ever experienced a breakup before, whether you've been on the receiving end or the, shall we say, cutting end, By that, I mean you're the one who made the breakup. Breaking up is really hard to do. So when you see Charlie Day cry in this film, it's very sad, yes. And you you certainly know his pain if you've been through a breakup. And if you don't know his pain, you probably haven't broken up with anybody yourself. But, yeah, Charlie Day has the ability, very much like Will Ferrell, to, during some of his lower moments in comedies like this or of this tone to be sympathetic, but also be very funny. So Charlie Day and Jenny Slate's characters, again, their characters are named Peter and Emma, eventually meet. And rather than getting together themselves, even though they do have some chemistry together and you kind of know where that's leading, they both conspire to break up the relationships that Anne and Noah have formed. For example, Anne has started dating a middle school drama teacher named Logan, who's played by Manny Jacinto, and Noah started dating a baker named Ginny, who's played by Clark Bacco. And I got to say one thing about Clark Bacco. I did not know that a woman could be named Clark. I I never considered Clark one of those gender-ambiguous names like Morgan, Taylor, Leslie, Carol, the list goes on. But 
Clark Bacco is a knockout. She is a biracial uh, Canadian actress, probably best known certainly to Canadian viewers, but maybe also to American viewers in uh, a certain uh, show that's on Canadian television, but also is on Hulu that's called Letterkenny. And I haven't seen the show, but I've heard great things about it. And just to give you an idea of somebody on the radio who's telling you about how beautiful an actress is, Clark Bacco is probably the perfect person to, if not play a younger version of Kerry Washington, either playing Kerry Washington's younger sister or daughter, which she probably will later on. And not only do... um, Scott Eastwood and Jenny Slate, in addition to Charlie Day and Gina Rodriguez, play believable long-term couples. But the chemistry between Gina Rodriguez and her rebound guy, Manny Jacinto, and Scott Eastwood and Clark Bacco um, are individually believable. It's not necessarily a great sort of chemistry, but it is believable given the circumstances of this film. And I'm not going to tell you, given my words on films, spoiler alert, what happens with each of these couples or whether or not Charlie Day or Jenny Slate's characters are successful in breaking up the respective couples. I do have to say that it is somewhat unbelievable or maybe a bit unrealistic that People who are level-headed like Charlie Day and Jenny Slate's characters appear to be would put so much of their effort, particularly when they're in their mid to late 30s, to try to break up somebody else. That seems to be more like a junior high or a high school plot. But I guess when you break up with somebody, there is a grieving process that is different from grieving when somebody else dies. But it is still grieving. And when you're grieving, you don't necessarily have the clearest conscience, conscience, excuse me. And there are times where you do things that are driven more by emotions than by logic. And that I can understand. And fortunately, Jenny Slate and Charlie Day played characters who are believable in their actions, probably because Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, most especially Charlie Day, made their characters particularly believable here. So I Want You Back does take a lot of romantic comedy tropes and use them to their advantage. And there is a part where... Charlie Day and Jenny Slate are on the same side throughout the first two thirds of the film, but in the beginning of the last third of the film, or maybe the end of the second third of the film, their plans are ultimately exposed to whom I'm not going to say, and they do have a falling out. But I think what comes after that is poignant and also fitting for the film. So I want you back is a film that, is not in one of my favorite uh, genres, romantic comedies, but I enjoyed this film for what it was, which is why I'm giving it a knockout. I think that the six principal actors in the film turn in very believable performances, and they also have funny parts in this film that are not at all forced. 
and the chemistry between these sort of intersected love triangles really works. It's not necessarily great chemistry in that you can see these people together, but it's not, it's also not necessarily, um, a non-existent chemistry where you can't see them together. There's a certain other kind of chemistry besides romantic chemistry where you can believe that some couples can come together, but you can also believe that they can be torn apart as well. Maybe this movie would have been better suited for me to review around Valentine's Day, but couples get together and break up all the time. But the, the important thing is that I Want You Back is not just a Valentine's Day film, but it might be some good comfort food for people who have been jilted and maybe even for people who have reluctantly done the jilting themselves. And that could be really of any age. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my next segment, which is What's Coming Up Next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to be released in theaters for the weekend of May 6th. First, I'll reveal the movies that are coming out in theaters, and then I will reveal the movies that are coming out in streaming, or as many as I can. And the one major film that will come out in a theater near you is the Marvel Cinematic Universe film Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This is the second Doctor Strange movie, and by that I mean it's the second film in which it's it's exclusively Doctor Strange in that Benedict Cumberpatch is returning and he is front and center. Of course, Doctor Strange appeared in two of the Avengers films and one of the Spider-Man films was actually Spider-Man No Way Home. And not only did Spider-Man collaborate with Doctor Strange in that film, that film also introduced the multiverse and Doctor Strange is messing around with that multiverse again. Let me describe to you the uh, main plot of this film. Doctor Stephen Strange Cast a forbidden spell that opens the doorway to the multiverse, including alternate versions of himself, whose threat to humanity is too great for the combined forces of Strange, Wong, and Wanda Maximoff. So, Benedict Cumberbatch, as I said, returns as Doctor Strange. Elizabeth Olsen returns as Wanda Maximoff, also known as uh, Scarlet Witch. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor also reprises his role from the original 
Doctor Strange film from 2017. And Benedict Wong appears in this film as well, reprising his role from the Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings film, in addition to his appearance in Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, Spider-Man No Way Home has a very tough act to follow, especially coming after the Avengers films, particularly the ending of Avengers Endgame, which I will not give away, but let me just say, the ending to that film made many grown men cry, including my brother, who, yeah, wholeheartedly admitted to crying when a certain character died at the end of that film, but I will not give away who it was. So Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I am very, very eager to see not only Doctor Strange, because Benedict Cumberbatch plays that character so well, but I'm also very intrigued to see what he does with the multiverse that's different from what Spider-Man did with that multiverse in No Way Home. Because there are going to be alternate versions of Doctor Strange. And what's interesting is that Spider-Man No Way Home also had alternate versions of Spider-Man. But those came from different movies, different Spider-Man films. There has not been another Doctor Strange film other than the one that came out in 2017. So I don't know what alternate versions of himself, of, of Doctor Strange, are going to look like. But I will find out when I see this film, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Other films that are coming out in theaters, there are really actually not many, but there's one that might be coming out in theaters nationwide, but I cannot guarantee it. It's subject to being released in theaters on May 6th, and the film is called Happening. This is an adaptation of Annie Ernaux's eponymous novel that looks back on her experience with abortion when it was still illegal in France in the 1960s. The movie stars Anna-Marie Vartolemy, Casey Motet-Klein, Luana Bajrami, and Louise Ori Di Chiaro. Not actresses whom I know, but... Abortion is a very hot topic. I had no idea that it was illegal in France in the 1960s. I know it was illegal in the United States in, 19, in the 1960s, but I would have imagined that France would have been more lenient as they usually are when it comes to sexual matters. But Happening is a film I can't guarantee that I'm going to see, but I'll give it my best shot if it's coming out in a theater near me, in addition to the Doctor Strange film. The last film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 6th is a movie that's called The Twin. And this is about a mother who needs to confront the unbearable truth about her surviving twin son. Very interesting. The movie stars Teresa Palmer, Stephen Cree, Barbara Martin, and Tristan Ruggeri. Of course, Teresa Palmer is the only actress who I know. She is a relatively young actress ish actress. Uh, She's 36 years old. That's young to me. Yeah, I know I'm getting older. Shut up. Um, She has been in movies like I Am Number Four from 2011, which I have not seen. Hacksaw Ridge from 2016, which I have seen. Warm Bodies from 2013, which I have not seen, but I heard good things about it. And Lights Out, which is not a great horror film. So I am vaguely familiar with Teresa Palmer. And this film, The Twin, is a horror film. I don't know how good it's going to be. Horror is usually hit or miss. 
But I may see it, not guaranteeing it, but I will let you know what I think if I see it on next week's show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the films that are subject to being released in theaters, it's now time for me to get into the movies on the next part of what's coming up next that are subject to being released on streaming for the week of February, uh, excuse me, May 1st through May 6th, 2022. And truth be told, at, on the first of the month, there are a ton of films that are being released on Netflix on the very first of the month. And there are also some other films that are taken away. It's just very natural of Netflix to do this. And Netflix have, has actually been in the news, in the financial news, in the sense that its stock uh, price has dropped because it lost 200,000 subscribers and is expected to literally lose millions more in the near future. I don't know why that is, and I'm not a financial analyst, but there's always something worth seeing on Netflix, in my opinion, which is why I'm not dropping it. And even though there have been some Netflix originals that have been second rate, I think the good on Netflix, whether it's Netflix originals or if it's movies that are going to be that are re-released on the platform, it's, there's there's always something to watch there, and I never get bored. So I I can't speak for the people who have dropped Netflix, but Netflix does have a lot of other competition, as it should because this is America, and if Netflix didn't have the competition that it had, it would have been a monopoly, which means it would have been taken over by the government, which means that its selection probably wouldn't be as diverse, but that's just me speculating. But I I would get into the movies that are being released on Netflix that are not Netflix originals, but if I did, we'd be here all day. And if this was a two-hour show, I'd get into it, but I'm not going to do that. So on Tuesday, May 3rd, there is going to be a documentary that's going to be released that's going to be called Hold Your Breath, The Ice Dive. I could get into what this movie is about, where these divers are diving, and they probably don't have to hold their breath to dive because I would imagine they have scuba gear. But the point is that it seems like a very thrilling documentary and one that I might see. And if I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. But it's really on Wednesday, May 4th, where there is a Netflix original that comes out of Italy that is called 40 Years Young. Uh, the Italian name for this movie is Quarentones. And it's about a chef whose name is Caesar, who after turning 40, and I'm getting there myself, he is invited to a culinary contest in Cancun. Yeah, Mexico. But a bitter discovery threatens to destroy his family as well as his chances to win the competition. The movie stars, of course, several Italian actors. Caesar is played by Eric Elias. 
he has a love interest in this film whose name is Naomi, who's played by Gabby Espino. And once you take a look at her, you can definitely understand why she would be the love interest. And his best friend is named Paolo, who's played by Adal Ramones, who might be Italian, might be Mexican, I don't know. But this looks like an interesting film. It is a foreign film, and there are several foreign films on Netflix. But you know what? Netflix, excuse me, foreign films are fair game. So I might see this film. I'm not going to guarantee it. But I'll let you know what I think on next, next week's show. There's another film that's coming out. Actually, there are three Netflix originals that are coming out on Friday, May 6th. One American film and two foreign films. One of the foreign films is a film that's coming out that's called Thar. And Thar is a film that looks like an Indian film. It is directed by Raj Singh Chadhari, which sounds like an Indian name. It's about a man who moves to a big town to seek a job and avenge his past. It is an action film that stars Anil Kapoor, Fatima Sana Shadik, and Harsh Vardhan Kapoor. So Bollywood films, which this might be, not all Indian films are necessarily Bollywood films. Some of them I do see on this show, some of them I don't. But not to be xenophobic, but I don't go out of my way to see Indian films just because there are so many. I think um, India comes out with as many, twice as many new films as Hollywood does, and that choice tends to get pretty overwhelming. Plus, even though I don't necessarily review mainstream films, I tend to uh, view films that American audiences would see, and maybe Canadian audiences too. But Thar, I might see, but I don't exactly know. But I'll keep it on my list of possibilities. Another foreign film, which is coming out on Netflix on Friday, May 6th, is a film that's called The Takedown. This is also a foreign film, and it is about uh, two men named Diakaite and Monge, who are police officers who are the complete opposite, and get paired together to uncover an unexpectedly big criminal case. The director of this film is Louis Leterrier, who, as you might expect, is from France, specifically from Paris. And I don't, I do know that the star of this film, Omar Sy, or maybe Omar C, is a French actor who is black. And I know him best from The Intouchables, which was a movie he made in 2011, which had an American remake with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston, which was very good. But he's also been in some American films like Jurassic World and X-Men Days of Future Past. So this is a film I probably will likely see over Thar. And if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. But it does sound like a typical Hollywood buddy comedy, even though it's not a Hollywood film. But the last film that is subject to be released on Netflix on Friday, May 6th, is a film that's called Marmaduke. And Marmaduke was made into sort of a live-action animated hybrid film in 2010 with Owen Wilson as the voice of the titular dog. But this Marmaduke film is completely animated. And the voice of Marmaduke is, dare I say it, Pete Davidson. 
And for those who are, have been listening intently to this show, I am not the biggest fan of Pete Davidson, particularly because he seems like the only member of uh, Saturday Night Live who in its entire history didn't exactly want to be on the show. But then again, he's been on the show for seven years and you hear a lot more of him in the gossip columns of publications and YouTube videos than you do people who actually think he's funny. And I don't think he's funny. Plus, I also don't like that he doesn't really seem to care about his craft as a comedian. But I'll give this movie a chance. It is an American Netflix film, which means it's going to be more at the top of my list. And it is about a legendary dog trainer who believes he can help Marmaduke become the first Great Dane in history to win the Westminster Championship trophy. The movie has uh, voices in it, including Pete Davidson, Jason Anthony, and J.K. Simmons. I don't know how this movie's going to be. It's probably not going to be as good as the bad guys, but I'll see it and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. So those are all the new films that are going to be coming out on Netflix. There are several other series that are coming out on Netflix, but I'm not going to necessarily tell you what those um, series are because, of course, we'd be here all day. But on Apple Plus, there is a docu-series that is premiering that's called The Big Con, and con is spelled C-O-N-N, which is presumably short for Connecticut. But I don't exactly know what that docu-series entails, but it is the only thing resembling a movie that's going to be premiering on Apple TV Plus in the near future. And that's good because I don't have access to Apple TV Plus. But on Disney Plus, to which I do have a subscription, there are actually no uh, films that are coming out. There are a couple of specials. There's one called Disney Gallery, The Book of Boba Fett, which is a special, not a movie. And there's actually a Chippendales Rescue Rangers. I think it is a it's a film, actually. That's coming out on Friday, May 20th. So I'll detail that more in maybe next week's what's coming up next. But for now, I am moving on. So on the week of May 1st through May 6th, HBO Max has, like Netflix, several films that are not HBO originals, but they are films that are going to be premiering on HBO Max, maybe, maybe not for the first time, but there are a lot of them, so I won't get into what those films are. But on Tuesday, May 3rd, there is a documentary the not a docu-series, one documentary that's called Spring Awakening, Those You've Known. Sounds like a very um, good title, but I can't say what the movie is because I don't have that description right now. It'll take me a while to dig that up for you. But Spring Awakening, Those You've Known, is going to be premiering on HBO. It is the only HBO Max original, or HBO original, I should say, that will be premiering on both HBO and HBO Max on the week of May 1st through May 6th, 2022. On Friday, May 6th, there is one film that is not an HBO 
original, but it is a movie that came out last year that received very mixed reviews. And in a good, in a, in a, in a year, 2021, that was not a great year for most people, but it was, but it was a, a better year than 2020 and B a great year for musicals. Dear Evan Hansen fell short. Uh, to me, it did. And a lot of people had the problem with the fact that the the guy who played Evan Hansen in the film was the same guy who played him in the Broadway show, which should be an asset, but the guy didn't look like a teenager. That's not the problem I had with the film. I thought that the placement of the songs felt a bit contrived, and it also fell into the same kind of Hollywood formula where there's a guy in high school who's not very popular. He begins to live a lie, which makes him more popular. And then eventually that lie is exposed and he's less popular. And that's not spoiling very much about Dear Evan Hansen, but you can decide for yourself if you have HBO or HBO Max. And it is premiering on HBO Max on Friday, May 6th. So decide for yourself. I did think there were some good supporting performances in the movie by the likes of Amanda Stenberg, probably most especially because I love Amanda Stenberg. Even when she's in bad movies, she usually has something to take away from the film. And I think that Dear Evan Hansen is certainly no exception to that rule. On Hulu, there are some series that are going to be premiering, but not any... Uh, original films. There's one film that's going to be appearing on Hulu that's, as I said, not a Hulu original, and it's called Last Survivors. This one I do actually have time to look up, and it could potentially be a documentary, but in this case it is actually a dramatized film. It's about a father and son who have been living off-grid for 20 years when they encounter an outsider who threatens to destroy the utopia they've built. The movie stars Drew Von Aker, Alicia Silverstone, and Stephen Moyer, amongst others. Alicia Silverstone is the only actor that I really know from this um, movie. So I might give this one a chance. It is a 2021 film, so it is fair game for me to review, but I will let you know what I think if I see it on next week's show. That just about does it for this episode of Words on Film. Words on Film is the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures, and I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, reminding you that the views and opinions expressed on Words on Film about movies or other topics are solely those of your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any employees or volunteers who are working at WBCA, or the station as a whole. Until I watch a whole bunch of brand new movies, this is Dan Burke saying I'll see you at the movies.